0: So the title of this series in the Machias Community Church Vision Clinic is Living the Biblical Worldview. And there are six different segments to that. We're going to look at them at the end here. We'll go over them again. But the first one is, what is the correct biblical view of God? One of my goals as an under-shepherd is to help lead you and me into and toward God's plan and His will for you. And what is that? What is God's plan and will for you? What do you think? Yeah, maybe you're here. Uh, If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has a plan for the rest of your life and your eternity. I believe He's got you firmly in His hand, and so that that is an inevitable destiny for you. But in the meantime, things can go a lot of different ways. You want to stay in God's path that whole time until He comes back and fixes you completely and takes you to a place where you can never wander off God's path again. That's called the new heaven and the new earth. But right now, we have a, a little bit of a problem sometimes understanding who God is. And having the kind of relationship with God that He wants us to have. We were created for intimacy with God. That is why God made you. He wanted a relationship with you. And then we were broken. And you know what? It's impossible for God to have a relationship with things that are broken. Without taking care of some of the problems. And so the only way you can have a relationship with God when you're broken is because Jesus Christ loans you His righteousness. And He does that when you accept His free offer of salvation. So it starts with being saved and then then becoming transformed, and eventually God is going to finish that transformation process and you will have the level of intimacy with God that He intended you to have when He created mankind. A lot of times we think about heaven, and there's a lot of descriptions, and there's some in Scripture, and it's hard to really understand it. I don't think we have a real good source of reference for it. But I'm pretty sure that the biggest thing about the new heaven and the new earth will be intimacy with God without sin. God is the source of everything you actually need. And so heaven may have an environment, and I believe it's a physical place, the new heaven, the new earth. I believe we'll have physical bodies, that's what the scripture says, and that we're going to commune with one another, and there will be things to do, but I believe that the greatest aspect of heaven is to have an intimate love relationship with God without our sin and brokenness getting in the way. Heaven is God. Heaven is you experiencing God, unlike anything you can experience here. Now, can you experience God here? Yes, hopefully you do. But you're not going to experience Him to the level that you're going to when you are no longer broken. And so, you know, I've said it a a number of times. You know, there are a couple really important things. One is being reconciled with God. Two is being transformed. But to what end? To what end? To what end is that, really? What's the final goal of the existence of humans. Well, the Westminster Catechism says it. I've mentioned this a number of times before. I'll say it again. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy His love forever. If that is the goal, why don't we start now? If, if the goal really is to, okay, I want to be reconciled, to what end? Well, So I can be transformed, to what end? So that I can enjoy love with God in a relationship. Even right now, even in my brokenness, even in this state, when I am no, not perfect, then God has to look away from my sin. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm cloaked with His righteousness, I can have a relationship with God. And then Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? his response is, love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. It's recorded in a couple different places in Scripture. And then then, um, Jesus asked another uh, guy, well, what, what do you think the greatest commandment is? And he gives the same answer. And then the second one is, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that all the law and the prophets are wrapped up in those two commandments. But what is number one? What is number one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. You need to ask yourself some questions, as do I. Do I really love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength? If so, what does it look like? What would that that look like? What would that feel like? Carol made me promise I wasn't going to spank you today. I'm not, I'm not, but I'm going to challenge you today. Maybe this is the the greatest question a Christian can ever ask himself or herself. Mm-mm. nothing's happening here Oh, there we go <clears throat> if the answer is I don't think so why do you think that is if the answer is I don't think so why do you think that is I don't, I'm not saying you don't love God Uh, you didn't come to that love on your own. I mean, the Bible is very clear that none are righteous, not even one. None seek after me. They all have turned aside and that your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. If you have any love for God whatsoever, it's because God gave it to you. But then he says and he asks, do I really love God with everything that I have? What would that look like? Thankfully, I have no timetable on this. Um, we're just gonna we're gonna preach through these things, and as long as they take, they take. I'm not gonna run you over today. But um, if we lived in a totalitarian society, and there was one person that was completely in control, and there were rules, and the penalty for every breaking of every rule was death. But first you're going to get lashed. And you're going to get lashed every time you do anything that doesn't meet the standard. And the standard is perfect. And then somebody comes along and says, I'm willing to step up, and every time you commit a mistake, I'll take the lashings, and in the end, I will die. In your place. would that generate feelings of love for you towards that person? John, if, if Lori said, John, will you take, uh, you know, I committed murder, would you mind copying to that and taking um, my punishment and being killed? And you said, Lori, I love you so much, I would happily do that. Do you think that would cause Lori to love you more? I would think so. Well, maybe she think you're a liar, but... Um. I think if we don't really understand what's going on, what, what, who God is, what he's done, what he's like, that it's difficult to say yes, that I really do love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. I would like you to think about that. I was just going to do this a different way and just sit here for five minutes while you thought about it. But I'm going to do this instead. We're going to redo the order of communion. We're going to have the communion meditation in that now. And while you are doing that, as you are reminded by what is happening, what God did for you, ask yourself, do I really love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? All right, guys, come on up. You need that one, or do you need this one? You need this. Do I need to pull the other mic around? You need that one.
1: Happy New Year for me, too. So, uh, Lori and I had to look up the definition of an idiom. We're probably more comfortable with the term metaphor. And all of you would know this particular idiom or metaphor. You've heard it. You've probably used it. And that is don't put the cart before the horse, which simply means put your priorities in the right direction. Get things, the sequence of things need to be a certain way. So as we prepare for communion, I'd like to make sure we put the horse first. And I want to use Abraham as an example. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abram was first called, then he believed what God said, and then he obeyed. So I'm going to read in 11:8, uh, starting in 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he left, not knowing where he was going. And and isn't that like us in our Christian walk? We've heard the message, we've believed in faith. that the the message is true, and we start walking, we don't really know where we're going. We know the end, but we don't know tomorrow. By faith, Abraham lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which had foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, even from one man and one who was as good as dead at that, there were born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number and as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand along the seashore. So... First the call, he gets the promise, he believes, then he obeys. Paul in chapter 4 of Romans writes this, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, the wages are not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So regarding your eternal destiny, what promises God made to you? You've received the call through the Holy Spirit, and here's what you need to believe. In Acts chapter 4, we covered this in the adult Sunday school last week. There was an exchange between the Jewish council and Peter after God had healed a man who was born lame. And Peter and John were being blamed for the healing. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, this is in chapter and verse eight, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which became the chief cornerstone. Here's the key verse. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. That's putting the horse first. And what's our response is obedience. James chapter 1 says this, But prove yourselves doers of the word, not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. Communion is a response. It doesn't save you, just like baptism, water baptism in and itself does not save you, but it's a response of obedience. This is what the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. If you have named Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior through an act of faith, you get to participate in this communion. In the Lord's Supper, when the disciples were meeting together in the upper room, this is what was said. While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, with this question that's been put before us, how much do we love you, and what does that look like? Once we understand or start to understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, being perfect, living a perfect life, and going to the cross to carry our sin to become sin for us, how can we not love you? Teach us what that means. What does that look like? And we do thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: So I asked the question, John asked the question, do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And what would that look like? See, God loved you perfectly. What did that look like? He knew you. I knew you before you were even created. knew everything about you. When it says no, it doesn't mean the intellectual no. Gnosis, it means I knew you intimately before the foundation of the world. And then I sacrificed my life for you. And then I'm going to completely restore you. What would it look like then? So that's God's side of it, and we know exactly what it looks like. We know exactly what it looks like, except we don't know what our final destiny is going to all be and look like and feel. But in the amount we can imagine, we have a fairly good idea of what ultimate love from God looks like. What does our love for God look like in real life? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm guessing most of you have been in love at some point in one of your relationships, maybe as a parent, as a child, family member, spouse. Did you stare at a picture of your loved one without ever seeing him, knowing anything about him, and just, hey, I I really love them? Probably not. To love someone, you need to know them. And then you need to turn that knowledge into actions to develop a strong love relationship with people. What does a life lived with ultimate love for God look like? Do you think it would involve serving Him? Do you think it would involve sacrificing your entire self to say, God, I'm just totally in your hands. You just do whatever you want with me. I trust you. I love you. All that. Read the Bible and watch the life of the Apostle Paul. He'll be the first to say I was the chief of sinners. But if you see, what did he do? How did he demonstrate a love for God in a practical day-to-day way. I mean, obviously that's a fairly high standard, and I'm not holding you to it right now, but you should hold yourself to it. That's what's possible. All right. If the answer was, I'm not really sure if I love God with everything I have, totally, completely Love God with my, all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. If you think it, I love God, I don't always feel it, I'm not sure I have that depth of relationship with God, do you think that it might be because you have fought or felt some of the following things? That you didn't really know God. It's hard to really love someone if you don't really know them. You, know, you think, oh, maybe I've just been a Christian a little while. Okay, I get that. I understand you don't really know. All the things that the Bible tells us or how God has revealed Himself in different ways. You don't have the experience yet. But, but what if you're, you've been a Christian for a long time and you just, you know what? I've heard a lot of things about God. I know about God. But I'm not sure I really know God. And I think I've used this illustration before. I got to go back for some presidents that I actually have some respect for. Um, if if someone was to come to you and say, "I really would like to tell you about Theodore Roosevelt or Franklin Roosevelt," and say, "Well, okay, I'm interested. I'm a history guy, and um, and and I did all the research, and I." read all of his library, his personal library, and I went back and talked to people that, that knew him, and let me share with you about Franklin Roosevelt. Mm. And then if she was alive, and Eleanor Roosevelt called you and said, Hey, I heard you're interested in my husband. Could I come share something with you? Which one would you be more likely to want to hear? Yeah. Because we can know a lot about God and still not know God. Okay, so if you're thinking, Ugh, I'm not sure I'm really at the level of love relationship that God says I can have and, in fact, is the best thing for me, by the way. <laughs> Let me tell you that. It isn't just God say, hey, I died for you. You better just love me with everything you got, pal, or you're in trouble. No, it is, uh, I have opened the door now so that you can kind of start working your way back to understanding what intimacy with, with me is like Now, you're still broken, so you won't have complete intimacy, but come on in. Taste and see it's good. If you're saying, "Ah, I don't know that I'm there yet, is it because you don't know God? There's a solution for that. Or, are you disappointed by God or feel that He's disappointed with you? Ever been disappointed with God? Yeah. Angry? Angry with God? Do you think that maybe the love relationship that you have with God isn't quite what it could be because there's just been times I've really been angry with God? I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Oh, there we go. I'm, I'm going, i probably, what am I thinking? Did you ever feel or have the experience that, you know, God, I know you're in charge. I know you're perfect, supposedly perfect and all that. But man, this just doesn't seem fair. I could point around here to different people that I dearly love who are going through some really difficult times right now, right now. I'm thinking, God, it doesn't seem fair. You're piling on. They love you. Do you ever feel like God's abandoned you? You ever feel like, man, you promised God and I just don't feel you? It just seems like when things really got tough, what happened? Or that God can't be trusted. God, I said I would serve you, and this is what I get out of it. This is how you're going to treat me now that I've dedicated my life to you. That's it. I don't trust you anymore. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. My guess is you've had some of these. Why? Because you're still broken, that's why. If you have had some of these feelings towards God, do you think they might have affected your daily walk? The Christian life, your ability to trust God, your reliance or understanding of His Word? If you didn't trust Him, can I trust His Word? Has it affected your faith if you've had some of these feelings and thoughts about God? Has it affected your assurance of your salvation? All of those are serious issues. There's more questions than I have here, but there's a point. There's a point. Okay, or that God simply doesn't care about you anymore. You know, God, I know you're really busy and you got a lot of people to take care of, and maybe I'm just not that high on your list. Mm. That God doesn't really love you? If He really, really loved you, would He allow all this stuff to happen? You know, you you love me some and everything, but just doesn't seem like it, because I have a view of what that love would be. And God, if if I loved my kids, I certainly wouldn't allow them to go through the, you know, if I had a choice, I wouldn't allow them to go through the stuff you're letting me go through. Is that really love, God? Man, if I could keep my kids from doing the stupid things they do, and I was in totally control of everything, man, things would be a lot better than they are now. Okay. I believe in order to love the true God, you have to know the true God. I believe that most of these thoughts and feelings that you just looked at are stemming from an incorrect view of God, incorrect view of the God of the Bible. What, who he is, what he does, what he has done, what he's going to do. Because every one of those feelings is contrary to the truth of Scripture. Now, most of them are emotional responses that maybe you don't even think through. Maybe you're just mad and you just have them. But it's going to affect a lot of areas of your Christianity, especially your ability to love God with everything you have, which is the most important goal at the end of everything. So if we go back and go through this series, which we're going to be doing We're not getting any very far today. We're trying to figure out these questions. Who is this God according to Scripture? What's He like? What's He do? What can I count on? What are the correct expectations to have for what He's got for me and what what He's going to keep me from doing and all those things so that I can understand and know Intimately, God. That's why we're doing this. Then we're going to go back and we're going to just learn from Scripture and then we're just going to say, okay, as I go through Scripture, how is it solving some of these issues for me? But one of the, we, there's a couple of paths that we often take when we have those feelings about God. One of them is we reject him and we're angry and we say, okay, I want nothing to do with you. Maybe it's a temporary basis because I don't believe he lets his children fall away permanently. But we can be angry with God and say, okay, fine, God, that's it, I'm done. I came to that point at one time in my life and I just said, if this is what I get from following you and dedicating my life to doing what you want, then I'm just done. It didn't last very long. I was the most miserable I've ever been in my life. Ron was a pastor here, and I came and had a long talk, cried a lot. He just said, welcome back. But well, we still have those feelings. We still feel those things, and, and what one of the things we do is we just we push God away. We say, God, I don't like the way you are with what I was expecting, and so you're not safe, and I'm going to push you away. Or we reinvent a God that we really want. Most of the time, he's more like us. God, that ain't fair. I need a fair God. How many of you ever heard anybody say, you know, I could never serve a God that would allow 9-11 to happen. Because I would like a God that doesn't let bad stuff happen to good people. So we reinvent the God that we want him to be, and then we're worshiping something that doesn't exist. And you're never going to have an intimate love relationship with something that doesn't exist. So let's take a look. God wants a relationship with you. He created you specifically for that purpose. God reveals Himself to you by His Holy Spirit and through His Word. We all desperately need both of those things in order to form and hold a correct view of who God is, what He does, and what we can rightfully expect from Him. If we are serious about having an intimate love relationship with God, it's crucial to have an accurate view of God and then apply those truths to how we think, behave, and live our lives. Did everyone get the handout? Okay. Anybody not get one? If you didn't get one, I'm sure there's some, some left. And, and it looks like this, and it says the seven attributes of God's nature, seven qualities that demonstrate, God demonstrates perfectly, and then things to consider. Got that? Everybody got one? That's your homework. Okay, so we'll quickly go through just the first one. These are attributes of who God is. This is who God is. This is what we're going to start with. I'm going to let you go. Maybe it's early. Maybe it's not. Um, Boom, 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 boom. Okay. I picked seven. That's not all there is. Let's pick these. This is my top seven right here. Okay. Who is God? I would like to know you, God. There are things described about you in Scripture. I gave you. Okay, on here, on this thing, are two scriptures for each one of these. Um, I went to Google. I typed in, give me Bible scriptures relating to God's sovereignty. I picked two. You can do the same. There are dozens. You can do the same with every one of these topics. Show me scriptures from the Bible that talk about the omniscience of God. I picked two because I thought they were good examples, but that certainly was not exhaustive. We're not going to go much further than this today. Look at these. Take this home. Read those scriptures. Find more on your own if you wish. I want you to come back convinced that this is true. And then we'll go to the next one. So this, this is going to come up next time. Uh, sovereign, omniscient, all, I'm, I'm giving you the definitions over there on the right-hand side, right? So, any questions about any of that? Ask me later, but I, I, don't, think, I don't think we're going to get much disagreement. But if you were to apply, we're going to talk about this next time. God can never violate any of these, Ever. God can never violate any of these, ever. Okay. If God is totally holy and just, how come there's sin? We're going to ask ourselves that next time. Or if, how could God be completely and utterly holy and just... And allow sinful things to exist, like you, God. You Tim, you're telling me God cannot violate any of these attributes of Himself. Okay, so God says, "Well, there's 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 an issue here. There's a conflict, right? Um, I am totally holy and totally just. Therefore, I cannot put up with sin, and somebody has to pay." Ah, but since I'm also totally loving and completely sovereign, and unchanging, I have a solution. I'll pay, I'll fix you, and everything will be good. But I cannot violate, I can't just wink at sin and say, it doesn't really matter, or I'm not really sending anyone to hell because, quite frankly, I'm just just the loving God. No, I cannot violate this. Any single one of them at any one time. No matter what I do. Go to the next thing. So we're gonna go through these real quick. Okay, I think it's two, three, four Oops, back. Boom. Here. There's seven in each one of these, isn't that weird? Seven qualities that God demonstrates perfectly. Perfect love, perfect grace, perfect mercy, perfect creative ability, perfect patience and long suffering, but also perfect judgment and wrath. Now, can God demonstrate these things at different times in different ways? Yes. Going around telling everybody God loves you just the way you are. Not true. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that's one of the hard sayings of the Bible. Um, God has enough love for everyone. And, and plenty left over. But you're only going to experience God's love when you're reconciled to Him through the blood of Christ. Otherwise, you're going to have a really difficult time with the God of wrath. Read the Scriptures. There's coming a time God says, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. Uh, there's going to be a judgment. God perfectly does each one of those things. But there are two different pathways. If you're going to experience love and grace and mercy and patience, then you've got to go one path. Because the other side is going to experience the overwhelming love of God in that He didn't just vaporize every human being the second they were born. Or he allows the sun to shine on both the godly and the ungodly. So there is some patience and mercy granted everyone by God. Otherwise, nothing would exist. Because it's all broken. It all needs to be done. But if you're going to experience the true love and grace and mercy and patience and long-suffering of God, you need to go down the one path that includes Jesus Christ. Otherwise... God is your worst enemy, and He's going to win, and you're going to lose. And that's as true as the fact that God is the God of love. We can't create a God that just winks at sin and says, well, in the end, you just really, you're the God of love, and you love everybody, and you're in control, so you're just going to bring them all in eventually. You're just trying to scare us. It's not the God of the Bible. Okay, so... Read these scriptures this week, and I think you will come back if you aren't already convinced. These are the things that God does. The other ones were who God is. And if you really want to experience a deep and intimate love relationship where you are giving God everything you have, loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, it starts with knowing Him. This is who he is. We'll be talking about that more next week. Let's pray. Father, the more that I know you, the more it mystifies me as why you wanted to know me and why you put up with me. But I am grateful and I am thankful and I pray Lord that that gratitude manifests itself in a deeper love for you. And I would pray that for all the people in the sound of my voice. Father, only you can deepen our love and but but we do need to do our part to know you when you reveal yourself to us from your scripture and through your holy spirit. Or we can just sit on the sidelines. And be saved, but not really understand the depth of the love that you have for us or the depth of the love that you have made possible for us to have for you. And we need your help with that. Lord, lead us down that path that ends in intimacy with you. And we just ask that. Thank you in advance for how you're going to make that work out in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you and praise you, give you all the glory. In the name of your precious Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.